It's Friday, 10 o'clock. This is Babs Rolls Ivy. Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. So today I get to talk to my girlfriend, Maricel Vera. And she is a novelist and a short story writer. Now I know Maricel um, because I met her long before I actually met her um, online. You know, I have a, a huge online presence or friends, lots of people that I know. Anyway, I discovered her over at She Writes, which is a uh, a writing site. And um, she was launching her first book, um, If I Bring You Roses. And then she used to come on my internet radio show. And uh, and we used to talk about all kinds of things, about her book, about Puerto Rico, about her kids. And at that time, she had a son who was just going to Yale. And he graduated. And so uh, somewhere around graduation, I met her. We had coffee and scones or something at Claire's and uh, I just like her she's a smart funny woman they were in her and her husband were in Europe for a minute um she hails from Chicago now she's in Pittsburgh discovering Pittsburgh so hey Marisol Vera hey hi how are you great to talk to you it is nice to talk to you you. what's happening how are you Uh, I'm good remember Alisa was with me my daughter when we had coffee yes and yeah. She looks just like yeah. you. Beautiful. You have such talented children. Like, they are both talented. Like, you don't find that in families unless you're like the Jacksons or the Osmonds, <laughs> where you find, like, everybody is talented. But you have two very talented kids. It's a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. God-given because you don't do anything for talent, right? But it's up <laughs> to you to develop it. Yes. So So how are you? Yeah. How are you settling in okay. in Pittsburgh? Uh, you know what? Um, I like it. It's hilly. I do a lot of walking, but basically I do two things. I walk and I write, which is really good uh, for me as an artist that, uh, you know, I'm uh, focusing. Unlike when I lived in Europe, when uh, I, I, anytime someone invited me to go here or do that, I did it because it was just so different. You know, I knew I was only going to be there for a short time, so mm-hmm. um, I was easily distracted. So I I got to know you because you, you you were in Chicago when I met you. Well, when we were starting to converse and you had you were launching your book. You were over at She Writes and you were allowing us to follow along the process of launching. Yeah, this yeah, book. yeah. Maybe through Tiari Jones. Is that how we know? Yes, each other? I think so. Or I think okay. I kind of yeah. know you before Tiari Jones. And then I put then we put the numbers together. We connected the dots. Or yeah, something. Yeah. But yeah. it was such a long time ago. I can't even, I don't even know the real story. It's like an urban legend now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful relationship, right? That just keeps evolving. It does. <laughs> so your first book, If I Bring You Roses, we talked about this book. Give us a little bit of why you wrote that book. And then we'll talk about what you're doing now and talk about Europe and talk about eating. Cause that's what we do. Okay, great. Um, well, I wrote that book because, um, I was curious about my parents' generation. Uh, When I was growing up in Chicago in the 1970s, I didn't know anything about Puerto Rico, anything about Puerto Rican history, uh, because it wasn't taught in in the public schools. Um, What was interesting was later on, after I had learned a lot of things about Puerto Rican history by researching uh, um, the history myself, and I talked to my mother about it, I learned that she didn't know hardly anything about Puerto Rican history either, because in Puerto Rico, uh, because it is a colony of the United States, the United States, when they took over Puerto Rico, they uh, only taught American history. Wow. In English. So, uh, so the Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico didn't know Puerto Rican history, the ones of my mother's generation, which is, I mean, how, 
How tragic is that? Very tragic. So, um, so anyway, so I was very curious about the first generation of Puerto Ricans, my parents' generation who came to Chicago because they were the first wave of migration to Chicago. New York was different. Puerto Ricans went there since like, even before it became a colony of the United States, Puerto Ricans were going to New York. And then after it did, that's where most Puerto Ricans migrated to uh, New York. But in Chicago, about the 1950s, there was a lot of industrialization, so they needed cheap labor. And since Puerto Ricans were already um, American citizens, um, the United States made it very easy for Puerto Ricans to migrate to Chicago. Like the airfares were cheap. Agents went to Puerto Rico to um, recruit Puerto Rican men to work in the factories, even Puerto Rican women. The, um, Puerto Rico, uh, Chicago had an office where um, it was sort of like, um, kind of like a work, uh, I'm trying to think of, where if you if were Puerto Rican and you needed a job, you went to this office and they connected you with um, factories for mm-hmm. you to work. Mm-hmm. So, um, because um, Puerto Rico, the, the United States is very complicated history. They um, wanted to, the Puerto Ricans to leave Puerto Rico because they thought there were too many Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico. And that's one or two things that they did. They wanted to push Puerto Ricans out of Puerto Rico. And then they also wanted to control the population of Puerto Rico through reproduction. Yes. So those are, these are the kind of things that I learned while I was writing my novel and kind of researching my, uh, how some people of my mother's generation and my parent, my father's generation would have come to Chicago. And that's how um, that, um, novel evolved. They weren't my parents. They were the people in my novel, Felicidad and Aniva, were a few years older than my parents would have been, just mm-hmm. a few years, and it was imagined. Um, but I used like uh, the general area where they came from, some of the uh, stories that I heard about the family for the novel and set it in 1953 Chicago. Mm-hmm. So now when you were writing that, were you I mean, of course you were stunned, but uh, did you spend any time sharing this? Like, did you incorporate some of what you learned and discovered uh, with your own family? Like, I learned this or I know this and, you know, and, you know, re-educate them about their culture? Well, I I shared some of the uh, things that I learned about the history with my mother and then I certainly shared it with um, my kids mm-hmm. because I wanted them to know where um, where they came from, where, I, where the uh, their, about their ancestry. You know, I I always told our kids when they were growing up that they were Puerto Ricans, that they were Americans, but they were Puerto Ricans, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was kind of like a difficult thing for them, I think, because um, you know. Uh, you know what you know in the world that you live in, you know? Yeah. You, and how and how do you know uh, what is your Puerto Ricanness? It was hard for me, and I was a first-generation person born in Chicago, uh, to understand how am I Puerto Rican if I don't live on the island. That's an interesting. So, that's a very interesting concept right there. Like, how do you know if you're something if you're not there? Yeah. Okay. Well, my daughter was talking about something called blood memories, um, because we are writing a play together about um, the sterilization of Puerto Rican women. Mm-hmm. And that's something that she would like. I'm writing it and she's directing, going to direct it, but we're creating it together. And that's something that she wants to incorporate in the play, blood memory. So I was just looking that up because she mentioned Alvin Avery. Avery. Oh, how do you pronounce it? Ailey. Alvin Ailey, yeah. And Alvin Ailey and um, uh, a dance that he created about blood memories. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking that up and I was thinking, okay, well, what is my blood memory? And I think my blood memory has always been the Puerto Rican culture. And she was talking about it in terms of uh, reproductive justice for her. Uh, but for me, it's the culture. I've always been drawn to the Puerto Rican culture, even as a very young child. I'm one of six, and I don't think any of the other five 
feels like I do. Mm-hmm. I just feel such a connection to Puerto Rico and just like I want to champion Puerto Rico. I want to champion Puerto Rican issues. I want to champion, um, you know, uh, the right to to vote and just <laughs> it's just part of me and I can't uh, separate it and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's part of who I am. That's good. That's I think that's See, I think that's a I think that's the basis of any activism, right? To to sort of yes. stay connected to roots. Um and I think that's part of why African Americans um are always trying to find ways to connect ourselves back to Africa. And Africa is a huge continent, right? So few of us know exactly where where our actual roots hail from. So we just sort of claim the whole continent. Because it's that very thing we feel very connected to, to that, even though we're here and have been here for a good, good long time separated from the continent. So, so I get, I understand that um, in ways that it is hard to sort of articulate. So, okay. So Mm -hmm. you and your husband go way across the pond. (laughs) You go to Europe. Where do you land in Europe? Uh, We lived in Zurich, Switzerland. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived there for three years. It was um, really a great experience, and I always wanted to live in Europe. So one of my dreams came true. Um, I mean, not more than one, uh, but but this dream came true. So I just felt very fortunate, and it was. Um, I never thought about living in Switzerland. I always imagined I would live in Paris, but but when I moved to Switzerland. I just loved it. It's just one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been in. Just mm-hmm. the 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 nature the mountains it's just incredibly beautiful and i um i hope to go visit again soon i i totally recommend it as a place to visit if you're thinking about going to europe it's just so gorgeous well i thought your pictures were gorgeous because you you shared pic you posted pictures yeah when you would go to the market and when you would meet people for wine and you would Yeah, that that was a problem with Europe. It was so easy to go have wine, go have coffee, go take a, a train because a train is what you want to do. Take the train. And one time we took um, we took the train through, um, and it was called the Glacier Express, and it's through the glaciers. <laughs> and we were so fortunate. It was a beautiful day, and we got you just go on this train, and it takes you from one part of. Uh, of Switzerland to the other. You uh, like, um, I think we we went to Sermat and then we ended up, uh, we went through San Moritz and it was just incredibly gorgeous. I mean, to see glaciers. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Yeah. It's so cool. I, I was impressed but, by the wine drinking personally. Yeah, the wine, the wine is really fluid, great. But right? hey, I was just in Napa and the wine from Napa and Sonoma is pretty damn good too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <sir>. highly recommend. <laughs> we'll, we'll drink wine just about anywhere. <laughs> but uh, I was working on my novel there about um, the Puerto Ricans who uh, migrated to Hawaii to work mm-hmm. in the sugarcane plantation, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't get it done there because I was just having way too much fun. But I did get it done when I came back to the states, and I just finished it. And I sent it to my agent, and she's reading it. So. I hope she loves it. Good. So that's yeah. an interesting that's an interesting piece, right? The the Hawaiian Puerto Rican connection cuz I I don't yeah. know anybody who knows that story. Well, it's about uh when the United States invaded uh Puerto Rico in 1898. Um uh they um a lot of Americans came in a lot of businesses and they basically bought up most of the land on the island and they turned it into sugarcane. Instead, it was coffee before that. And sugarcane, you need a lot less people to work it. It's only, uh, it's like for one season and then there's a dead season. And so a lot of the uh, Puerto Ricans had to move from like the country to the, um, to the cities and there's like no work. And then there's a hurricane that devastates um, a lot of the coffee growing areas. So those farmers, uh, they lose their livelihood and they have to sell their lands again to Americans. And so then they go, what do they do? So my characters, uh, I wrote about a woman and um, a man and a woman, Valentina and Vicente uh, Vega, and they um, 
what do they do? So he decides, okay, um, I want to go to Hawaii because um, the uh, Hawaiian sugarcane plantation sent recruiters to Puerto Rico to try to entice the Puerto Ricans to go to Hawaii. Um, it was since uh, Puerto Rico was a colony of the United States, it was easy to get them. It was cheap labor. Um, and uh, they could expedite them to Hawaii. So um, the woman goes against her will, but they still go because uh, he's a man and he gets to decide. And that's the way it was then. And his brother also goes too. So I follow them on this journey to Hawaii and uh, what happens to them when they get to the sugarcane plantation and how um, they all three of them evolved, uh, Valentina, Vicente, and Vicente's brother, Raul, how they evolve as people and how they deal with working in very under very harsh conditions in Hawaii. And uh, a lot of the people who went thought that they could actually go back to Puerto Rico, you know, after maybe like a year or two, but it was impossible because you had to take, you took a, uh, a ship to... Um, Louisiana, and from Louisiana, you took the train all the way across the United States to San Francisco. From San Francisco, you got on a boat, and from the boat, you went to uh, Oahu, and maybe you went to the other islands. And how do you get back? How can you pay for it? Wow, that, and you know, and that's, and it's still not an easy trip today. Like, like it's not an easy trip. So I can imagine at that time how unbelievably did. So people never came back. Well, um, you know, some people, um, I read that one or two people managed somehow to get back, but most of them didn't. And some of them were very young men that they uh, pretended that they were 18 so that they could just maybe go on an adventure. And one or two of them were uh, sent back, but basically no, because uh, Hawaiian Sugarcane Plantation Association needed the workers. And it was all about money. Mm-hmm. They wanted people to cut cane, and so and it was about money and it was about race. The um, Hawaiian Sugarcane Plantation Association um, wanted to whiten the race of the sugarcane workers because a lot of them were from uh, were Japanese, and um, they didn't want that. They wanted to whiten the race, and they also wanted to control the Japanese because after the Japanese had been in Hawaii for a while, they wanted to have better wages. And, um, you know, they protested against some of the uh, conditions, and um, they were not going to have that. Wow. So let's bring in a new migrant group and, you know, and mix it up. And uh, eventually the Puerto Ricans who um, did move to Hawaii, eventually they also became like the Japanese. They protested against the conditions. Uh, There were lunas that would uh, beat them. And uh, they had to wait, work from uh, dawn until night. And they lived under very, uh, not very good conditions. And what was interesting for me was for the woman, Valentina, uh, she had in Puerto Rico before the hurricane and the Americans when she was better off, she had like a middle class life. And and here she when she gets in Hawaii, she has to live under very, very bad conditions uh, uh, um, in a hut with like a dirt floor mm. and no running water. And just that. so that was interesting writing her character. And, you know, how she had to deal with it and, and did she overcome it? So what did it do to their marriage? How, how did she change? Um, and how and for Vicente, who used to have his own land, now he's a, ser- you know, he's a servant. He has a master. So wow. it was very interesting. This and, is and then Raulito and the brother Raulito, I thought uh, because I have a, a gay son, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have Raulito be a gay man in 1900? You know, how does he deal with oh, that? Man. He has to hide it. You know, he has to hide it. And and, uh, and how how would that, you know, how can I depict that? So it's, it was very complex, and it was a really uh, a joy to write and uh, very difficult, but, you know. So it's so in your agent's hands. And your agent shops it's in her it. hands. I hope she loves it. Okay, yeah. and then and then she'll shop it for you, and we'll yes, hopefully it'll be yeah, hitting the job. streets 
It'll be in book bookshelves and book book yeah, places. It, it's called the Taste of Sugar. Oh, I like because it. of the sugar cane in Hawaii, because of uh, for multiple reasons, sugar mm-hmm. cane in um, in in Puerto Rico and Hawaii. Uh, Valentina has this uh, this uh, little um, affair that um, you know. You'll have to read to find about, but uh, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, so. I'm excited. Well, I can't, well, then I'll I'll wait with bated breath to, you know, for it to get to my favorite bookseller. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so, all right, so you're you're done with that. You're in Pittsburgh. Done with that. And you went to see Hamilton. Went to see Hamilton in Chicago with uh, our family and. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I was telling you that um, my son, um, he's a playwright and, and uh, a teaching artist in Chicago, but he also is a poet. And he just he wanted to do something for the election because he's been really upset for months with uh, what's going on in this country regarding the election. And um, he wanted to um, do his part, and he decided to do it by writing one poem a day for, he did this 50 days before the election, for 50 days before the election, one poem for each state. Mm -hmm. And uh, about, um, each poem has something about the history of the state and also um, present day. Wow. His goal was to um, educate and also encourage people to vote, why it's so important to vote. And then he also, he told me he was also going to do Puerto Rico. And when he said that, I said, please let me do Puerto Rico. So (laughs) he uh, let me write You see all the talent in this family. Look at all this talent. (laughs) All this talent. (laughs) uh, it's, It's not a state, but he was like 50 and a half. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's part of the United States, even though it's a colony. And so uh, I wrote this poem called Puerto Rico, the old mistress, which I posted on my Facebook page that anyone who wants to can can see. And uh, by going to when I went to Hamilton, uh, I was thinking about the poem, you know, kind of writing it in my head. Well, I don't know if you're familiar, if you've heard the um, have you heard the cast? album of Hamilton? Yes, I I, I listened to it on um I listened to it on Spotify in my office. Okay, well, you remember the king, mm-hmm. King George comes out and he starts singing about, "Hey, uh, you know, I've done this and this for you. You know, I love you because I I did this to you because I love you." Remember that? Mhm. Mhm. Well, that inspired me and that's the voice of my poem. It's the it's oh. uh America the United States, hey, I did this for you, you know, because I love you. I, I invaded you. And, you know, and uh, I, um, I, I, one of the things that I wrote related to the play was that I, uh, I sterilized a third of the Puerto Rican women for you. But basically, the United States is talking to Puerto Rico. And, and um, I see Puerto Rico really as an old mistress uh, I mean, of the United States, which is why uh, it has a title like the United States is, doesn't care about Puerto Rico at all. Just the treatment, the current treatment in the United States right now to, towards Puerto Rico is just so clear. I mean, um, nothing against Cuba, but the United States is making such a big deal about Cuba. President Obama just went to Cuba. But what about Puerto Rico? Right. The last time he was there was it was correct me if I'm wrong, but was it just to campaign? I mean, um, Puerto Rico is in such dire straits, and it just needs. Uh, it is. I mean, it really is uh, in dire straits at the moment. You are absolutely right. And does the United States care? No, it doesn't care. It's just it's so frustrating and so tragic and heartbreaking. Uh, as a Puerto Rican, just to see what what's going on in Puerto Rico. I was last there a year ago. My sister and I took my mother for her 80th birthday before she died. That was her wish. And we took her and we went to, um, we stayed with one of my uncles up in the mountains of Utuado. And that's where um, our family is supposed to have come from originally, a coffee country. 
and that's where I set my uh, characters, Vicente and uh, Valentina and Raul. I, I have them come from there. Um, and so we went into the town, and my God, it's just, it's the saddest thing you've ever seen. Everything is shuttered. It just looks deserted, and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to San Juan, Viejo, Viejo San Juan, Old San Juan, which used to be so beautiful, mm-hmm. it's just totally Americanized and commercialized, and it's like a place for the uh, the ships to dock, to go in and buy the rum, and to get back on a boat to go to wherever else they're going. I mean... Uh, and people don't have electricity, they don't have water, they don't have jobs. It's terrible. You know, somebody, comp- I, I was reading that it was compared to Greece. Well, why don't we care about Puerto Rico? I think you're absolutely so. right. I think you're abs- I think you're absolutely right. So do you want to read your poem or do you want to just have uh, me send people what, uh, to it? Let's read it. Read yeah, it. Do you want me to read it? Yes. <laughs> Okay, but I just want you to know that unlike my children, I am not an artist. <laughs> um, I think you are. Okay, but I will try. <laughs> I will try. Okay, Puerto Rico, the old mistress. For my children, Elisa Vera Ramos and Wilfredo Ramos Jr. You were the brightest star in the Caribbean. You enticed me with your beauty, with your place in the sea. Perfect for a military base. What better place to protect the United States? Spain ruled you, but I had to possess you. The Spanish-American War, that was for you. When I blocked ships that carried food and medicine to you, that was for you. When my battleships bombed the beaches of San Juan and Guanica, that was for you. I sent the U.S. Cavalry for you. You know you wanted me as much as I wanted you. When we invaded you in 1898, you met us at Guanica and took us by the hand up the mountainous interior in the hunt for Spanish soldiers. Spain gave you up in the Treaty of Paris of 1898. Not even a goodbye kiss after 400 years. I would never give you up without a kiss. Let's see. Yes, I promised you freedom, but that was just love talk. Manifest destiny, God-given. Besides, you had no experience in self-government. I guided you. I was your teacher. I was your father. The U.S. Constitution doesn't apply to you. Those promises are for others who are not others, who speak English, not Spanish, who think English, not Spanish. Trust me to know what is best for you, like when I change Puerto Rico to Puerto Rico. Trust me, like when I bought you silver dollars for 60 cents a piece, stuffed them into sacks, and shipped them to the United States. It's so nice when the coffers of the treasury and the pockets of Americans are full. Don't blame me for your troubles. After everything I've done for you, I made you part of my family in 1917. American citizenship for you. Not because I wanted to send your sons to war or to America for cheap labor. I changed your name back to Puerto Rico. See what I do for you? I've driven away millions of Puerto Ricans from the islands for you. I've sterilized a third of the women on the island for you. Don't blame the U.S. Merchant Marine for your troubles. You must have good ship to you, right? You must pay the, pay the price. Why do you go on about how you had no debt when I came to rescue you from the Spanish? You have debt now, billions of dollars. I didn't do it all by myself. I had help from island politicians. Taxation without representation? Why do you need representation? Don't you trust me to make decisions for you? I confess to confusion as to your ingratitude. Why do you insist on colony when Commonwealth is so much nicer? You don't you complain that you pay Social Security and federal taxes, but can't vote for president. You don't pay federal personal tax. See what I do for you. Why do you need full Medicare coverage? The weather is so pleasant. Why do you need jobs? Why do you need teachers? Why do you need doctors, sanitation, electricity, medicine? You want to restructure your debt. That's gratitude for you. 
your star has dimmed these hundred plus years. Your physical attributes that first attracted me, the perfect climate, the unspoiled nature that American companies spun into sugarcane plantations no longer in service, that American manufacturing replaced with factories no longer in service, excite me less than the novel charms of Cuba. But I will save you with promesa. I'm your sugar daddy. I know what's best for you. Here speaks the daughter of Puerto Ricans, forced in the diaspora. I am Boricua. Trust me to know that I don't need a daddy, sugar or otherwise. I have me mother patria, Puerto Rico. Hear the song of the coqui. See my ancestors on my skin. The heart and the pen prevail over might. You've tried to erase me over a hundred years. Look around. Soy Boricua. Very nice. Wow. Thank you. That is powerful. <laughs> you have to take that on the road. That is powerful. <laughs> After some coaching for my actor kids, maybe. <laughs> no, you did it. You, re- you read it with such heart, such soul. I mean, these are your words. So I mean, you just did a <laughs> great you. job. So now what is he going to do with this, with, this, with this volume of poetry? What is he going to do with it? He's going to publish them? He's going to... Well, I told him he should. But right now, his, he's writing... A poem a day, um, which is, let me tell you, a lot of words to write a poem. So he's writing a poem a day, and he'll be done right before the election. And uh, I know how that, I, um, I just did it for a friend for his birthday. I did 30 days of poems for his birthday. So wow, I know. that's incredible. I did it for 30 days for his birthday. Good for you. Girl. <laughs> you must love that friend. That's all I got to say. You must really love your friend. Because you know what? That takes a lot of time. It wow. does. And, I, and every day I sit down, I'm like, okay, somebody help me. You know, 30 days. <laughs> yeah, so I know. I'm a, I, I like poetry is my thing. I'm not a very, mm. I don't think I'm a great poet, but I just love people who write poetry because I think poetry is a great way to sort of say what needs to be said um, succinctly yeah. and 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 reverently and powerfully, yes. you know. So I, 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 I am a poet, a lover of poets. So I'm, I'm just reading a book in, uh, written in poetry by Jacqueline uh, Woodson. Have you? No, I don't know this um, one. What's it called? Uh, I have to uh, go look in my, uh, I think she won a big award for it, but oh my God, it's just incredibly beautiful. It's like a memoir, and she uh-huh. wrote it in poetry, and it's called, Brown Girl Dreaming. Highly oh, recommend it. Yeah, 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 yeah. She won the National Book Award. I know she won this. The yeah. Honor Award. Incredible. I know this. Yes, yes. I, yes, yes. You're right. I know this. I know this. So, all right. So you've got you got a lot going on. You have a lot going on. You're working on yes, this play I, with your yeah. daughter. And where are you in that yes. process? Well, uh, we had a reading of the first draft, a partial first draft reading, and right and. Uh, now I am going to uh, finish writing it, and then we'll have, um, I'll send it to her, and she'll give me her input. And um, we are planning on um, going to New York um, right after Thanksgiving to consult with Iris, Dr. Iris Lopez. She's an anthropologist, and she wrote a book called Matters of Choice. Puerto Rican women struggle for reproductive freedom. Wow! And um, and then we are planning on presenting uh, a stage reading uh, for um, a class of one of her um, um, colleagues because she uh, Iris Lopez is on sabbatical right now. Uh, but that so that we're planning on doing it that the end of November, and we are hoping to. Um, present to her class in February a full um, stage reading Mm -hmm. and then maybe um, a few other places in New York. And also we're going to do that in Chicago. So somewhere down the line, my daughter, Lisa Vera Ramos, got a grant from um, the city of Chicago, D.K.'s grant, uh, to help fund some of this work. And uh, somewhere down the line, we'll have to do fundraising in different places to um, be able to do everything that we want to do. Um, but it's, um, it's going along well. It's basically the play is about um, 
the sterilization of Puerto Rican women mm-hmm. by um, uh, the United States government and the Puerto Rican uh, political elites in Puerto Rico. By um, 1970, one-third of the Puerto Rican women in Puerto Rico were sterilized. A lot of them were not even 20 years old. Oh, and it, it was a... Um, so Marisol, what did a, you? What was the thinking behind that? Like, what, what was it to to cur- just to only curb the population? To they just didn't want Puerto Ricans reproducing. Yes, they didn't want Puerto Ricans reproducing. I just read this really great article called "Colonized Wounds: Reproductive Rights and Puerto Rican Women" uh, by Dr. Antonia. Darter, by Antonia Darter. She's a scholar. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how uh, after World War II, um, the United States was um, afraid of communism. And because Puerto Rico was very poor, um, they, um, they thought that that was a real danger to United States interests. So they um, decided to develop the island, and that was, and they were really talking about um, colonizing it more. And so the conservatives and the liberals, they had different reasons um, for going into Puerto Rico and controlling the population. Um, And basically, uh, the Operation Bootstrap, which was getting Puerto Ricans out of Puerto Rico that was developed in the 1940s, was related to um, the uh, colonizing Puerto Rico. Um, to they, it's, Puerto Rican women had uh, children. They didn't want so many Puerto Ricans being born. So what do you do? You sterilize the Puerto Rican population. Puerto Rican women were seen as sexy and um, uh, to... Um, uh, promiscuous. Mm -hmm. So this is what we do, you know, sterilize Puerto Rican women. Mm -hmm. So um, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, no, you did. No, no, you did. No. (laughs) So so it was all, it's all about dominating Puerto Ricans, dominating the Puerto Rican woman and controlling the Puerto Rican woman. Uh, And how do you do it? By By sterilizing the Puerto Rican woman, then you also control the men. So, um, and um, so this play that we're writing, it's going to, um, it starts off um, in an interesting way, not even, even before the United States. It starts off in like about the 1880s when Spain was the one who, uh, who dominated Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a colony of Spain then. And then that, at that time, the white Puerto Rican elites had a problem with uh, Puerto Rican women, Afro-Puerto Rican women, and it was about race then. And then during that period, there was a lot of, uh, they wanted to control Afro-Puerto Ricans and Afro-Puerto Rican women, especially, who were seen as enticing the white Puerto Rican male and as as, um, unruly, in quotations, unruly. So um, my play starts off with that, Mm -hmm. how uh, the Puerto Rican elites um, would, uh, pull Afro women off the streets, or if, if you um, were a man and you you said something about an Afro Puerto Rican woman, woman, uh, she could be dragged to the police station. She would have to enroll, forced to be uh, to be enrolled as a prostitute, even though all she did was talk to a man. And um, she would also have to submit to a hygienic examination, and that was like. Uh, being taken to the police station and having a doctor come in and giving her like a vaginal exam to find out if she was a virgin or she had been sexually loose. And and that was anybody who was happened to be walking by the police station could see it. You know, that is it was like outrageous. Public, it was basically rape. Yes, that's outrageous. With, With, uh, you know, with the little uh, implement, with the little steel implement, basically rape. So anyway, this is what the play is about. It starts off then and then it has the United States and what the United States did with the uh, and uh, 
Puerto Rican white elites, uh, the sterilization of uh, Puerto Rican women. Can you imagine one third of Puerto Rican are sterilized? Uh, and so um, their tombs were tied in quotations, which, which um, the women now, Puerto Rican women, thought that if your tubes were tied, that they could be untied mm-hmm. compared to having them cut. But it's not. It's the same thing. You'll never have another baby if your tubes are tied. You can have surgery. There's a certain kind of surgery you can have, but you'll never have another baby. You'll right. never get birth again. Right. And so the problem, uh, one of the problems is, well, just this, you know, this is like, uh, social injustice, reproductive injustice, uh, and then uh, um, continuing the problem is, is that a lot of Puerto Rican women, even now, young women, think that having their tubes tied is a good alternative, is a good uh, contraception mm-hmm. alternative. So, Marisol, when you do this work, I mean, do you do you get any blowback from the Puerto Rican community about maybe you shouldn't be staring up these wounds or or do you get people saying, yes, tell our story, tell our story? What kind of blowback do you get? Well, I don't think I'm famous enough to get any kind of blowback yet. Maybe that'll come down the line. But you know what? I wouldn't care. I honestly would not care. Anybody who knows me knows I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care. I, I, if I am confident that I am doing right, I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate to have finally, um, after a lot of years, found, um, have confidence in my own identity and in my own voice. And, you know, I have my children on my side, my husband's on my side, and, you know, I'm on my side, so I'm good. But basically people say, yes, it needs, it needs to be it, uh, talked about. It's, uh, there's this movie called La Operación. If anyone's interested, you can get it on YouTube, and it talks some about this, um, about the subject. Of, um, that's about the forced sterilization of uh, Puerto Rican women. And it is a lot of women were forced to be sterilized. Um, and uh, like in the 1950s in Puerto Rico, uh, and also the 1960s, if you went to a hospital to have a baby, there was a good chance if you had more than one child that you would come out sterilized mm-hmm. because they might, uh, you might not understand the language and they might tell you or someone might tell you. And uh, there's a case of someone who uh, had to have a C-section. Well, they wouldn't do the C-section unless, until she signed the forms to, have, to be sterilized. Can you imagine? You've had children. Have you had children? No, yet? my kids are adopted. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. but I'm a wonderful mother with the with the four children. But, but can you imagine? <laughs> you have to have a C-section, and you can't get a C-section until you sign the paper. You're going to sign the paper because you have to have the C-section. When you're in labor, you're in labor. You're in pain. You'll just you do know? anything. You'll sign anything. You will do anything, anything. So, um. And what's interesting in my own family is that uh, my mother in 1960, she was in Puerto Rico and she had uh, my sister, but she was on her way to the hospital when she had my sister and she happened to have my sister in the taxi cab. And that was like, um, so my mother and my sister were very famous on the island because, you know, it was in all the news. This woman had her baby in a taxi cab. So by the time she got to the hospital, she had already delivered my sister. So she was not... um, if she had, I always think if she hadn't delivered my sister and had gotten to the hospital, where she had had to sign that form, I'm thinking my mother wouldn't have because my mother also was educated and she was very Catholic and she would never have done that. But, you know, a lot of women were, did it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I bet you they, they probably didn't understand what was happening or they were put in a position to sort of no choice. Right. So, and, and they and, and they also had the thing about the tubes tied. They thought that they could get them untied, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, like that's just like one thing. Like Puerto, uh, the United States tested the pill on Puerto Ricans in the 1960s. Yes, I read. Right. I just read that somewhere. Right. Yes, and so here, Puerto Rican women are passing out high blood pressure and all that kind of stuff because they don't know the side effects. And they don't care because they're Puerto Ricans. But a few years later, they tested on some women in Connecticut, I think. And they care because they're white middle-class women. Mm-hmm. You know, I think somebody died, mm-hmm. a white uh, middle-class woman in America died. And so then they cared. But when a couple of Puerto Rican women died in Puerto Rico, they didn't care. They don't care. So, you know, um, all this, there's just like so much uh, 
rotten stuff that's really good for a writer, you know? Because there's a lot of stuff I don't have to invent. All I have to do is I'm, I'm a fiction writer. And in the play, I kind of don't have to invent. I just have, I'm fictionalizing some of the stuff, but it's all based in truth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. All right. So, all right. We yeah. have about, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, not even, not even 10 minutes. Talk a little bit about what makes Maricel Vera, Maricel Vera. Who are you these days? <laughs> And what are you cooking? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, these days I really feel that I am really into my writer self. Um, like I'm here in Pittsburgh and what I really want to do is just write. Like uh, after I write this draft of the play, I'm going to revisit this novel that I wrote. was my first novel, coming of age novel of a Puerto Rican girl growing up in Humble Park, Chicago. It's called The Liberation of Carmela Lopez. And I'm going to rewrite that, um, I think, maybe as a young adult novel. And, um, and so th- that character, Carmela, is searching for her identity. Where does she belong in the world? Uh, because she, at home, she's uh, too American to be Puerto Rican. And outside in the world, she's too Puerto Rican to be American. Um, so I am going to write about her discovering where she fits in the world and I have to say that I, for myself, I've discovered that I'm very comfortable in my own skin Mm -hmm. and I am comfortable in my voice as a writer and in what I have to say. And I think that I have, I've always knew that my voice was um, as a Puerto Rican woman and I've wanted to write other things and I want to write other things, but I have like two more projects in the voice of a Puerto Rican woman before I can write that book about Switzerland that I wanted to write about the Swiss slave children. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, so I think that that's going to be okay. I have two novels. I'm going, um, after I finish the liberation of Carmela Lopez, I plan to write a novel about an assistant DA in uh, Chicago, who is a Puerto Rican woman present day. And uh, the, and the things that she has to um, confront in her life as a Puerto Rican as an, and as assistant district attorney. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of, you know, incredibly meaty stuff in that, mm-hmm. which will be dark. And that's kind of what I like to write. So, so I guess I found my voice as a writer. Good. Maybe that's an uncomfortable in it. Now, what am I cooking? I've been into soups lately. Into Ooh. making soups, even though it's been hot. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so it has not, not good. Uh, and and because and I'm also gluten and dairy free. Yay! Because so I'm dairy free. Yeah, you're dairy free too. Yes, and, you know, well, I have an allergy, so, bad, so right? I, I don't have a choice. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a real choice. It, but it's it, it's not so bad. No, it's great. They have so many pro. Like when I was first diagnosed, there was nothing out there 25 years ago. Now. In the regular grocery stores, you could find plant-based everything. Spreads, butters, cheeses, everything. There's no, no, there's no, no um, limitations to that. You know, you got, you have soy milk, almond milk, cashew milk, hemp milk, you got (laughs) coconut milk. You know, all these things that replace cow's milk. Yeah, coconut milk, right. I mean, and then they have, yeah. then they have mixtures like coconut soy or coconut almond or almond cashew. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so there's all these blends. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's not, it's not. I think you will enjoy it. I think I read someplace that uh, people didn't drink a lot of milk until I think it was the 1920s, and the United States. Um, had like ad campaigns about drinking milk because they wanted to help like the dairy farmers. And mm-hmm. that's why we won't drink so much milk, which is not good for you. No, it's not. It's, it really isn't. I try to tell people, but I stopped telling people because they just think, well, you just have yeah. an allergy and you're just saying that. So, but no, milk yeah, yeah, is really yeah. bad for us. <laughs> it's bad for you. But you know what? I miss cheese. So I really miss cheese. Well, you know what? Gift yourself, gift yourself some cheese every now and again. Right. And, and you know what? At least I'm not in Europe because when I was in Paris, the last time I was in Paris, you know, they have you been to Paris? Yes. It's my favorite city in the world. Me too. You know how they had these little shops and there's this woman and this very French woman and this fancy um, 
black uh, outfit yes. and, you know, and there's these tiny little cheeses that smell a lot. And she goes with you to pick out the cheeses and, um, you know, and tells you about a different cheeses. Oh, man, I couldn't do that now. It'll kill me. But oh, man. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I, believe me. But you know what? That's all right. We'll be all right. There's other things. We have There's to other stick cool to stuff. Wine. Yes, that's we'll wine. <laughs> and what's better than French wine? Nothing. <laughs> well, well, yeah, French except, wine is good. But you know what? I've had some really good Italian wine. I was just going to but say, the California wine is really good. Yes, it is. So you when know, you I'm come back, it like I don't know. When you come back, <laughs> you come back on, and we'll talk about. We'll start from wines. We'll start. We'll start uh, from a hey, place of wines. When I come back, I love to bring my daughter. Yes. Can I do that? Yes, absolutely. I would love because I want to hear can... about this play and I want to talk about this play. Yeah. Okay. She is a beer girl. Me too. She, she, she's a beer girl. I'm a wine person, but she's a beer girl. See, I'm right in between you but, both because I do beer and wine. So. But we can talk about the play. Yes, I would um, love to. So look at some dates. On. Look at some dates if you want to do it in the next couple of months or whatever. And, and we'll uh, talk that'd about be great. It. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we could do it next month and we could get yes, together. Yes, I would love it. to. Great. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. It's, it's so always nice, to nice talking you. to you. Well, always. catch up. I talked about myself, but that's what, but that's what it's about. about you. I talk. No, okay. This is this is this is where I get to talk to the most interesting people I know, and you're one of them. So oh, thank you thank so much. You. That's very nice. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marisol. Have it's a lovely, a lovely day. You too. Thank Say hi you. to everybody. I will. Bye bye. That was Marisol Vera writer and novelist. Oh, I just enjoy talking to her. When she was on my internet show, she came on a lot. And we would just talk, talk, talk about Puerto Rico, desserts, food, all kinds of things. So anyway, it's Friday. Johnny King's sister, Evelyn Champagne King's song is up next. And uh, don't play me out. So you know what? Next week, next Friday, you know I'm back. I talk to the most interesting of people. So... I'll see y'all. Have a good weekend. Enjoy it. Bye. I want to dance all night, Monday morning, and I'm sick of this job.